Thanks for joining us for this message from Awakened Church. We believe in the power of God's Word, and we pray that you're encouraged by this message. Now lean in as we hear from God's Word together. This message is pretty close to my heart. Um, I've been praying a lot about what it is that God would have me teach, and God made it very evident um, what it needs to be. And it's a message that comes from what I'm going through personally, some stuff that I've been dealing with over the last year or so. And uh, to kind of get into that, I need to kind of give you some backstory on my life for this past few seasons. Um, I've seen some pretty high highs and some pretty low lows, spiritually speaking. Um, as far as the highs go, I haven't always lived here, like I just mentioned. Um, I moved here from New Mexico for literally no other reason than God said, hey, that's where I want you to go. I want you to be present here. I want you to serve at Awakened Church. I want you to be a part of impacting the city. I want you to grow in ministry when you go there. That's why I'm sending you there. My family and and I have no reason to be here other than that. And in order to make that happen, the Lord had to provide for us in a lot of ways. Um, When we left New Mexico, I had no job. I had no idea how we were going to sustain ourselves, what was going to happen, but we stepped out and we left. And the day that we were leaving the city in that moving truck, I got a call and the Lord provided the perfect job for when we got here. It sustained us. It took care of us. I I was able to pay our bills, gave us insurance. And ultimately, the best part of this job is that it was extremely flexible. Like I could be present here and all in at a moment's notice. Somebody asked me to do something, I'm here. No problem at all whatsoever. And that was a huge, incredible blessing. So flexible. And then I've seen God do other amazing things. My my grandfather had cancer. um, And my grandpa was pretty late stage. He was struggling a lot and it wasn't looking good at all. And we were praying and asking God to move. And my grandma went to God's word and God gave her a promise that he was going to be healed. And then my, my grandpa was healed. And that was a huge blessing. It's such a special moment. But as of this last year, literally all of that has been taken away. It's gone. That job that I talked about, when COVID first started, literally a week ago to this, or a year ago to this exact week, that job disappeared and it's not coming back. And I have struggled and struggled to find a new job. I have applied to so many places that would allow me to continue to be flexible and be a part of this. And I get rejected over and over and over. Whenever I check my emails, it's comical. It's always a rejection. And the jobs that I get offers from are stuff that would take me away from this entirely. I wouldn't be able to do this at all. And it's caused me to be so frustrated as every month goes by and I'm worried about where we're going to, how we're going to pay our bills. How are we going to sustain ourselves? What if something bad happens? My wife has type one diabetes. We have to buy insulin every month. It's super expensive now. And I have no option. I can't not buy it. She will die. And that's so hard. So on top of that, my grandpa just a few weeks ago passed away because of COVID. Uh, My grandpa is a huge influence in my life. He was a pastor himself, and he was the most faithful example that I've ever seen in my life of what it looks like to follow Jesus. And I was praying and praying and praying that he would be healed. And I don't understand sometimes. And it makes me frustrated because with all of these things, I pray, I've seen God move before, I've seen him do things before, and it just seems like he's gone, like he's absent. I'm confused and broken and discouraged and frustrated. And it makes me say to myself, I know you can, God, so why won't you? 
And that's what the title of this message is going to be today. I know you can, God, so why won't you? We're going to be in 1 Kings chapter 19. We're going to look at verses 1 through 13. If you want to start turning your Bibles now, get a head start. But we're going to be looking at the story of Elijah. Um, when he it plunges into despair and brokenness himself. And we're going to learn some lessons as we go along with him on his journey, and we're going to learn from it as well. And we need to kind of get a little bit of backstory. I need to fill you in on a few things before we jump in. There's some important things you need to know. Right before where we're about to read, Elijah had just had an incredible victory. Um, there had been a drought in Israel for three and a half years. Because the nation of Israel had turned its back on God. They didn't want him anymore. They had rejected him. And they began to follow a different God, a God named Baal. And Baal was supposed to be the storm God, the bringer of rains, the one who would sustain crops, the ones who would provide them with um, life and provision and prosperity. And Israel turned their back to follow that God. So God sends this drought in response to try to show them that he is truly God. Israel doesn't get the message. And after three and a half years, they're still turned away from him. So God sends Elijah to a mountain, Mount Carmel. And he goes up on top of this mountain. And he gets there and 400 of the prophets of Baal meet up there with Elijah. And they're going to have a divine showdown. It's going to be like a big deal. Um, This is a high stakes situation. Whoever loses this showdown between Elijah and these 400 prophets... Whichever is the losing side is going to be put to death. And everybody knows that. And the winner of this divine showdown will be the one whose God provides fire from heaven to light an altar based on prayer alone. And the prophets of Baal scream and pray and yell all day to Baal, and he doesn't answer. He doesn't respond. And then it's Elijah's turn. He digs a pit around his altar. He pours water all over it. And then he begins to pray and he says, God, if you are the God of Israel, prove yourself to be God and prove me to be your servant. And fire erupts from heaven, hitting this altar and obliterating it and vaporizing it immediately. The water entirely gone, the wood gone, the burnt sacrifice, all gone. And it's this incredible victory where all the people on this mountain fall on their face and realize what they have done. And Elijah puts these guys to death. These, these prophets of Baal. And then he falls on his knees and he prays that God would send rain again. And for the first time in three and a half years, rain comes to Israel. And Elijah goes to the king of Israel, King Ahab, and he says, we're going to go back to the capital city and we're going to tell the city what's taking place here today, starting with the queen. And that's where we're jumping in. If you want to begin to follow along with me in just verses one through four. It says, Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all of the prophets with the sword. And then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me and more if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. And then he was afraid and he arose and he ran for his life. And he came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah. And he left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, and he came and he sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. 
We're going to stop right here and pause. This is the first point that I have for you today that I know God wants us to learn. And it is that even heroes have a breaking point. Even heroes have a breaking point. Elijah just goes from a major victory to major defeat. And I want us to really understand who this is we're talking about. This is Elijah, the prophet of God. Elijah, the prolific hero of faith, who we read about, and his name is known pretty much everywhere. Everybody knows that name. Elijah is broken, discouraged, depressed, laying in the dust, asking to die. And what I realize in that is if Elijah can break, then why would I be so shocked when I break? Why would I be so confused when I find myself in situations where I'm lost and broken and in despair? On the surface, it's really easy to think as we read this that Elijah is upset primarily because Jezebel said she wants to kill him. But it's way more than that. It can seem like that, but this is really a crisis of faith in Elijah's life. It is much deeper than just fear of death. I want to put this in perspective. Um, The word that it says when he was afraid, the actual language, that word means to be um, in despair or to have that feeling in your stomach of just like that sickness of a drop in your stomach. When you hear of the death of a friend or something terrible on the news and your stomach is just cringing inside of you, that discouragement, that is what Elijah's feeling. And he begins to run as that takes over him. And then it says that he traveled pretty far. But this is more than just fear, because think about this. He just stood on this mountaintop, Mount Carmel, facing death against 400 people, and he was courageous against that. It's not about just these words. He travels down 100 miles to Beersheba, which is in Judah. And this is super important for us to understand in context. Beersheba is in a completely different nation. It's in the nation of Judah. It has a different king, different leadership, different armies. And that's important because Jezebel and King Ahab are not going to send an army over that border. They are not going to risk war. They're not going to risk potentially major animosity against one another. They're just coming out of a three and a half year drought. They don't have the means to do that. So Elijah could sit back and be totally safe if this was just about him being scared. But that's not what he does. He travels another day's journey into the desert and then he falls down under a bush and begins to cry out to God. And it's in his prayer that we really get to see the depth of his heart. And I want to read you just the words that he said. He says this, it is enough. Now, O Lord, take away my life for I am no better than my father's. It's the end part that he says in that prayer. That's really important. When he says that he is no better than his father's, that's the clue that we need to look into. What he's saying is that he feels that he has led a pointless ministry, that what he is doing, the obedience that he's given God, the things that he's fought for, has no payoff whatsoever in the real world. He feels purposeless deep down in his heart. And then he says, when he mentions that he's no better than his father's, he's he's saying Moses, those people who came before me, Joshua, 
the struggles that they had as the nation of Israel rebelled and rejected and the things that they struggled with and were constantly fighting against, I'm still fighting against and, and this is hopeless. I'm no better than them. I see no fruit and we're all just stuck. I'm screwed. That's what he's saying. And this is important because it's extremely relatable. Elijah feels like God's not showing up, like God's not moving, like God doesn't care. And that's how we feel a lot because we oftentimes, as we look at our own life, say the same type of things. God, why are you not working? Why are you not showing up? Why do you not care? Why are you not answering these prayers? I don't understand. I've heard about what you've done in other times. I've seen it in my own eyes. Why do you not care now? Whether it be in your marriage, maybe you're struggling. Maybe you've got some issues happening and you're putting the work in and you're trying your hardest. You're trying to be obedient. You're doing what you need to do and it just seems fruitless and you don't get it. Or maybe it's you've faced a death in your family like I've faced in mine, where it's just this painful sickness and you don't understand why it has to be this way. Or it could be unanswered prayers that you're praying for your friends and your family and for our world. It could be job loss like I've faced. The the bills are stacking up and you don't know what to do. It could be health crises that you're facing. You don't know why God's not bringing healing, why you're struggling with this constantly. Or it could just be as you look at our nation, as you look around, you listen to the news and it just seems like at every turn, we're just falling a little bit further. We're just rejecting God a little bit more and people just don't care. And it can be so incredibly discouraging. And I feel that I'm going through that. And if you're not going through that right now, at some point you're going to. I need to ask you, How are you going to respond when you face this stuff? Are you going to hide it? Are you going to run away from it? Try to put it behind you and just get as far away as you can? Are you going to put a mask on in front of everybody else and pretend like everything's okay and fake it until something changes? Or are you going to be like Elijah and expose it and just be honest and vulnerable And put it out there. Because a guy like Elijah broke. And his response was to pour it out to God. And that's what we need to do. If you'll do that, that is the first step to beginning to see God do something in your life. I want to show you guys what what God is about to do. Because this is where the story really picks up and gets really interesting. If you want to keep reading verses 5 through 8. He says, And Elijah lay down, and he slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate, and he drank, and he lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And then he arose and he ate and he drank. And he went in the strength of that food for 40 days and 40 nights to to Mount Horeb, the Mount of God. Now let's pause here. This is the second point that we need to learn that God's teaching me and teaching all of us through this text. 
Understanding doesn't come in a day. Understanding doesn't come in a day. Elijah goes to sleep broken under that bush. He's hurting. His heart's sick. He had poured it out. No response. Goes to bed. And then God begins to move. And it's so strange, honestly, how God moves. It said that God sends an angel to bring him bread and water. Now just think about this for a moment because it is really weird. God could have sent him anything. He did not send Elijah an angel with answers. He did not send Elijah an angel with an army behind him to protect him and to fight back against those who are rebelling against God. He didn't send Elijah an instant fix. He could have sent him any of those things, but he didn't. He sends Elijah a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And this is really important for us to look into because that bread and that water was the most basic means of food you could possibly think of. That bread is actually just wheat flour mixed with oil and cooked on a hot rock. I think that's so funny because this is the most basic thing you could possibly get to sustain you. And that's what God sends. And I think as we look at our own life, this is relatable too. Because a lot of times we're looking for answers now. We pray, we pour out our heart to God and we say, God, can you fix it? And we're frustrated. But the reality is God often gives us just the smallest little piece to push us one step more forward. I want to ask you in your own life, what are those small little basic things that God is giving you to just take one more step forward in faith? It could be a whole lot of things. It could be one verse that is just printed on your heart and that's all you got. You're broken, you're upset, you don't have answers, but you have that verse. It could be a song that you listen to on repeat because that's all you got to push you along. It could be a friend that you have. It could be a word of encouragement that somebody spoke to you weeks ago and that's all you got that you're walking forward with and that is it. But whatever that little bit that God has given you is, is so important because it's pushing you just one step further on a very important journey. Because Elijah is given this bread this small basic bit of bread to take another step. And his step takes him on a 40-day journey into the desert. And this is not a coincidence. This is, this is a big deal because God is trying to give Elijah perspective in this little bit of bread. As he pushes him out and provides for him with that tiny morsel, Elijah goes into the desert, the same exact desert that his fathers had walked in the same desert that for 40 years, not 40 days, Moses struggled with the same people Elijah is frustrated with as they were rebellious and didn't want to follow God and were stubborn and stuck in their ways. And Moses walked with them for 40 years in the same desert that Elijah is trekking through in the provision of God for his 40 days. And how did God provide over the course of that 40 years? Bread from heaven. One day at a time. 
And this is so interesting to me because Elijah is gaining perspective. He's seeing some things that he maybe had missed before. And that's what God is doing in our lives. When it seems like he's not answering these steps as we walk, we're gaining perspective. And Elijah realizes something, that he needs to go to where the presence of God has been. So what he does is he walks to Mount Horeb. We know that mountain by Mount Sinai. And Mount Sinai is the mountain that God originally showed up to Moses at as a burning bush and spoke to him. Mount Sinai is the place that Moses received the Ten Commandments. And Elijah goes there because he knows, I just got to get where the presence of God has been before. And this is a lesson for us too. When you are struggling, there is no other place to be than the place that you know God has been before. Whether that be God's word, I know God's word has spoken and he has been here before. Whether that be in this space that we're sitting in right now, where we spend time worshiping God, or where we spend time hearing God's word spoken and life given to us in this capacity, God has been here and will be here again. Or whether that be in awakened groups, where God's church, who is filled with the Holy Spirit, can love one another and build one another up. God has been there before. And if you're struggling with anything, these are the places that you need to make the effort to get to. Because if you will go there, God will begin to show up and begin to show you some really important lessons. I want to continue this and and read the, the last of our verses and learn our final lesson, the most important piece of this. Verses 9 through 13. It says, There he came to a cave and he lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, they've thrown down your altars, and they have killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And God said, Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind, and after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake, and after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire, and after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak, and he went out and he stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? I need to pause right here. There's some really important stuff that just took place in what we just read. And the point that God is making to Elijah that we need to learn is this. The power of God is not the same as the presence of God. There were some interesting words that were spoken. Originally, when Elijah hears from God, says the word of the Lord came to him. That means a mental message. And this is going to be really important for us later to, to know. This mental message comes to Elijah and he says, what are you doing here, Elijah? 
And Elijah begins to pour out his heart. And it's really in the things that Elijah is saying, his response, that we get a lot more perspective of what's really going on. Elijah says that he's jealous for the Lord. What he means by that is that he's been very obedient to God. He's been very passionate about the things that matter to God. And he's saying, I've been following you with all my heart. And then he says something else. He says, the people of Israel, they have forsaken your covenants and your promises. And he says, they've torn down your altars. Then he goes on to say, they have killed all of the prophets of God. What Elijah is saying is the primary means to God's presence that Israel was given, they have rejected it. What they're saying and what they do is that they don't want God. They don't want his presence. They don't want him around. They don't care. And that's not okay. And then Elijah concludes by saying, they seek my life to kill me. And what he's saying there is that there is no justice in this. This makes no sense. God is saying, why are you not, or Elijah is saying, God, why are you not intervening with your power? Why are you not reaching in and changing this? This makes no sense. He's saying, why are you doing these things? Why are you doing nothing? Because Elijah wants the power of God to change things. And what happens next as we read is God begins to mirror a moment in history. Centuries earlier, on the same exact mountain that Elijah now stands, Moses stood. And God met him in a very specific way. This is in Exodus 19. What, what happens is that Moses stands on the mountain and God descends in fire and flames and smoke begins to swirl in wind around this mountaintop. And as it rotates, there's thunder and lightning and the mountain begins to shake under earthquakes as God's presence is there. And now Elijah, coming out of a cave, just like Moses had, stands on the same mountain as God begins to mirror and do the same things. Wind begins to tear this mountain apart, ripping stones and hurling them down the sides of the cliffs. Dust is being kicked up as tornadoes are whirling around him. And then the mountains begin to quake as earthquakes begin to rumble. And then the fire rains down. But this time it's different than with Moses. Because this time, while all of this stuff is taking place, it says that the Lord passed by, but he was not in. Three times. The Lord passed by, but he was not in. God's trying to communicate something to Elijah right there and to us. Because what takes place next is very interesting says that there was the sound of a low whisper. And that means that after all of this noise, all of this power, it's just calm. It's silent, other than the sound of a very gentle breeze. And Elijah begins to notice something change about the air, and he wraps his face up in the cloak, and he begins to walk out. And then the voice of the Lord appears. And Elijah would have immediately made the connections here. The voice of the Lord audibly shows up. And the last time the audible voice of God was heard on this mountaintop was in Exodus 34. When God speaks to Moses, sharing who he is, what is his character? And I want to read that for you now, because this is what Elijah would have been confronted with. 
Exodus 34, verses 6 through 8 say, And the Lord passed in front of Moses, calling out, Yahweh, the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy. I am slow to anger and I am filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations and I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin. But I do not excuse the guilty. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children and grandchildren and the entire family is affected even children in the third and fourth generations. And Moses immediately threw himself to the ground and worshiped. God was reminding Elijah in this moment, in the way that he spoke, in the absence of all this power, that his power proves that he is God. His power proves that he has the authority to be God. But his presence proves who he is as God and what his heart really is as God. Jezebel had experienced the power of God, but she rejected him. The people of Israel had seen it. They'd heard it. They knew what God could do, but they turned their backs on him. Elijah had walked in the power of God was sustained by him, had witnessed him do incredible things. And Elijah is frustrated and angry. Desiring the power of God ourselves and to see it is not wrong until it becomes an obstacle to us understanding God's presence. Until it causes us to miss who God really is deep down. We came into this asking ourselves this question, the title of this message. I know you can, God, so why won't you? I think really the answer is, ultimately, I already kind of alluded to it, but it's that God chooses not to use his power when he knows that it will become an obstacle to us seeking his presence. God's not going to force us to follow him. He's not going to coerce us into relationship by bribing us with his power and his his works. God's not going to force us to love him by raining fire down and, and making us scared into doing it. God's not going to do that. God desires relationship, that we would understand his heart and love him and want him for that, for those reasons that we read that he says are his character, that he is merciful that he is loving, that he's showing love to thousands, that he's compassionate, that he forgives sin and iniquity and rebellion. And for us to understand that at the end of it, he is extremely patient. And when we don't see him at work, we need to understand that at some point, God will hold the guilty to justice. And he wants Elijah to understand that message. To Elijah in this moment, God's lack of intervention just seemed foolish and ridiculous. But to God, it held purpose. God wanted his people to love him for him. He wants Elijah to walk and follow him because he understands his heart. And he sees his goodness. We all crave the power of God. 
As, like I said earlier, that's not bad. It's not bad to pray to see the power of God. I told you in the very beginning of this, I've seen God do some really cool things. I've seen so many other things even beyond that. It's not wrong to crave those things. But when we don't see them, we need to be able to rest in his presence. Because it's in his presence that we understand him. It's in his presence that there's hope and there's peace and there's clarity. A lot of times when we're seeking the power of God and we're so stuck on that over the presence of God, that's showing us that we really value the results that God could do in our life more than we value the relationship that he could have with us. And I can tell you from experience myself, one year ago when I began praying the prayers for God to provide and to intervene and and make a way for my family, if God had done it, I would not be at all where I am now in my relationship with him. Because I've had to seek his presence over anything else, I've come to be able to rest in him and just be completely at ease, even though still right now, at the end of this month, I don't know how we're going to pay our bills. I still don't understand how it's all going to work. But I've seen God provide multiple times right when I need it, at the right time, one step at a time, one day at a time. And I can rest in that now because I know that he loves me and he cares. A year ago, if he had began to answer those prayers, I wouldn't be able to trust him enough to step out and continue to be here to stand on the stage and, and, and be able to teach and proclaim God's goodness. I wouldn't be able to serve at Awakened Students because I would have taken a job because I was too nervous. But I was able to step out despite that because of God's presence alone, not his power. I wouldn't be in constant search of experiencing God's presence now like I am because I would have just only really cared about the power and the answers to my prayers. But now I've found that there's something so incredibly beautiful about sitting in his presence and feeling him, having an experiential moment with God himself, not knowledge about him, not things you've heard or stories. You can find that in a Disney movie to encourage you. God's presence is different. It does something in here. Because God's presence changes us from the inside out. God hasn't forsaken you. He hasn't forsaken me. He's not oblivious to the things that we're going through, whether that be personally or corporately as a country or a church. God sees it and he knows it. And if he's not answering, it's not because he doesn't care. It's actually because he does. Because he wants to reveal new aspects of himself to you. Because that's really what matters. That's really where relationship is. When God's manifested presence enters your life. I hope that this is encouraging in some way, that you can begin to shift your perspective and see things in a new light. Whether his power is in your life, and that's great if it is, I'm thankful for that, or if it's not, because there's great things in that too. To close this message out, I just want to leave you with three very quick kind of commands or, or actions that you can put into that, 
into your life. And they're based on the three points that I shared with you. Number one, expose your heart to God in humility. Doesn't matter what you're feeling, if you have doubts, if you don't understand what he's saying in this book and his word, expose that. Don't be scared. If the things you're going through in your life are are painful and hurting and and you just don't get it, expose that because that's where God's going to begin to work. And the second thing I have for you guys is to go to where God has been constantly, whether life is great or life is terrible. Go to where you know he has been, whether that be his word or here at church on a Sunday or whether that be in awakened groups, be present there and make it everything that it can be. Be engaged fully in these things. Seek God adamantly in his word with heart. And then thirdly and finally, when you don't see the power of God at work, when you're praying and you're not seeing answers, you're not seeing him move, ask him what he's trying to show you that you haven't been able to see. And God's going to do something. I promise you, it's been a long journey for me and my family. A year I've been walking in this. I still don't have all the answers, but I have hope and I have some clarity and I have peace. And I know God has that for you. And we're about to close out in a song of worship. The worship team is about to come out. We're going to praise him for who he is, the fact that he hasn't forsaken us, that he will come meet us here again. We're going to praise him for that and lift up his name. I just want to pray for you guys right now as we close and just send you out of here with a blessing. And I hope that you're able to worship God and seek his presence and see him in a much clearer way than you ever have before. Thanks for joining us for this message from Awaken Church. We'd love to hear how this message or the ministry of Awaken has impacted your life. Let us know at awaken.church forward slash my story.